when folks say, you know, I believe you could just stop with the kids' corner. I got it. Well, if you've got it, uh, that's great. But I want to further elaborate in the time that remains this morning on a number of things. I want to show you six attributes of God with us. I want to show you six attributes. And these are attributes of God. These are attributes of deity or divinity. To say Christ is divine is to say that Christ is God. He is a full-fledged member of the Trinity. And the Trinity is not three separate gods, but it's one God, one person, with three aspects of God the Father, and in the economy or in the budgeting of roles, Jesus Christ was the Son. But because He's the Son, doesn't mean that He's less than the Father. And it doesn't mean that because He's the Son, that one day He'll grow up to be like God. And the Holy Spirit is also God. And this God with us, God in the heavens, came to earth and took the nature and the form, the physical form of a man to be Emmanuel, God with us then. He lived a sinless life, obeying the law of God. Think Ten Commandments or think Sermon on the Mount, where we could not. He obeyed it perfectly. And by His death, substitutionary death, His death in our place, His obedience was given to us. He resurrected from the grave three days later, proving once again that He was God. He controlled life. He controlled death because He was its author. Forty days later, He ascends to heaven where He is at the right hand of God, but He sends His Holy Spirit such that He is with us in our heart. So Jesus is with us this morning, but He is also, because He is God, He is with God the Father. Now I want you to look uh, at your outline this morning, and then we've got a number of slides. I'm going to throw a lot of scripture at you, and this is, if your community group uh, takes the sermon notes, this is and use that for your uh, your Bible study. That's wonderful. But if you're a Christian this morning, be you a young Christian or an old Christian, I want you to take these scriptures and tuck them away somewhere in your Bible or in your notes, so that you will have a selection. This is far from all the scriptures that testify that Jesus Christ is fully God. He's not a junior God in the making, and He's not simply fully man and not fully God. He's both in one person and that forever. And that's our theme through the series of Advent messages here in 2015. That Jesus Christ is fully God, and He is fully man in one person. 
in one person. And he will be so forever. Like We'll look at this next week when we talk about Christ's humanity, being fully man. But one aspect of him being fully man is that he is still fully man. When he ascended to the heavens, he didn't leave his body behind so that he's now uh, just kind of an ethereal ghost without a body. He eats right now. Hard to believe, but he still breathes right now. He still has a physical human hand. If you could look into the heavens where he abides, he is abiding there physically, even preparing a place for us. But this week, we're going to look at his divinity. We're going to look at Christ being fully God. Now, the one verse I'm not going to read, you've got it in your sermon outline. You've got verses 18 through 25 of Matthew 1. Matthew 1, verse 23. As I read to the children, I will read again to us because it's our focus verse this morning. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. Matthew does us a favor here. Matthew, in verse 23, says parenthetically, which means God with us. He does us, and by us, I mean Gentile. And if you're Jewish this morning, then please excuse me, but the majority of us are Gentile this morning. We did not grow up with a Jewish mother or Jewish father. We have been adopted as Christians into Judaism. Uh, Jesus Christ was Jewish. And Matthew, in writing, is writing principally to a Jewish audience. He's great because he is Jewish. He is, his writing is principally to the Jews, and helping them understand how the God of the Old Testament has come in the New Testament in a person, in carne, in flesh, in Jesus. But he does us Gentiles, in the parentheses, in the brackets, a huge favor. He says, let me translate it for our growing Gentile audience. Emmanuel which would mean nothing to you because Isaiah and his prophecies mean nothing to you if you're a Gentile. You don't have that heritage of, of prophets. But he says it means God with you. It doesn't mean just a title. It means God. And it means God with you. So to say Emmanuel, hearkening back to Isaiah, was to say that Jesus is the incarnation, the fleshing out of God. And to say with us is to say that he is in union with us. The word for with doesn't simply means, uh, mean to accompany. It doesn't mean I went to the movies with my good friend. It doesn't mean that we sat beside one another and we watched a movie. It's more personal. It is to say, um, with is to, is to be like chained together. I've, 
maybe you've bought something before from a store and it requires a key or a special pin for it and it's got a little chain. So it says this particular product comes with the pin that you need. Well, that pin is not just next to it, but it's bound to it. It's chained to it. And so what manuals, Matthew is saying here in the gospel is Jesus Christ is God in the flesh by, behold, by bearing that name, Emmanuel. He's got God's name. But now on top of that, he's not God at a distance. He's not God apart from us. He's not God who is staying in the church or in the holy temple. He's God coming down to where I am and joining himself with me. Emmanuel means more than simply God. It means a God who condescends, a God who gets low, a God who gets dirty, a God who doesn't wait for me to get my act together so that I can go to God, but a God who I can invite into my messy act not being together. And he delights to enter in. If you don't have that God, if you don't have the, the truth that Jesus Christ is fully God, if you don't have, if you just have the truth that he's fully God, you can still feel at a distance from him. You can feel very unclean and he can be, become the, just a holy and distant institutional uh, God. But Emmanuel is to say he's fully God, but he's not put off by my sin. He's gotten very, very low, and he's come in to my mess where I am. And there, and then, is when things begin to change. All right, now let me, let me tease out a number of things here in support to show you that Jesus is fully God. Now, your outline is broken up into two points. And no, it's not a sneaky way to have 12 points. Though I do have six attributes of Jesus Christ as fully God, as we go through each one of those, if you've got something to write with, I want to encourage you, as we cover eternal Emmanuel, if you'll look down to the second point and say, the impact to me is if I believe that Jesus is eternal Emmanuel, this is the difference it makes to me. If this is true, then this is the impact. If this, then this. I'll give you an example. Jesus Christ in John 8.58 can be seen as the eternal Emmanuel. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. What he does is he hearkens back and uses the name that God chose for himself when Moses, standing before a burning bush, was giving instructions to go to Egypt and free my people. God says, I am, I see. I have come down. I have seen the plight of my people. They are being enslaved. They are being treated unjustly. They are being treated with cruelty. And these are my people. These are my babies. 
And I'm sending you to proclaim rescue, redemption, and freedom to Pharaoh, to my people. And Moses is like, okay, who are you? (laughs) I know you as God, but what's your name? And he says, tell them I am that I am. And that's another sermon to unpack that. But when Jesus says, I, before Abraham was, I am, he is saying that before time, before the the figure of Abraham ever came onto the scene, Abraham being one of the, the church fathers that you adore, before he was even born, I was around. In other words, I am timeless. I'm eternal. And this is Jesus speaking for himself. And then he says, in fact, my name is God. Before Abraham, I was around, and I am. In other words, I am eternal Emmanuel. Uh, John 5, and I don't have this one on a slide for you, but John 5, verse 18, John 5, 18 shows you why Jesus was killed. Because in reaction to Jesus saying, I am, they picked up stones. They were going to kill him on the spot, except he walked away. It says he hid himself. And I don't think he was cowering at all. It was just that he had determined, he knew the time that he was going to die, and no man, no man could change that time. That wasn't within their power. And so he left. But they were going to kill him on the spot. Why? John 5, verse 18. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. This is Jesus that did this. This is not Christians later, later, later on saying, you know what, we're going to make Jesus, who was a wonderful teacher, a wonderful healer, a wonderful miracle worker, we're going to raise him and elevate him to the status of God. Christianity, unlike any other faith, the founder of our faith, the leader of our faith, is a human person, is a human walking among us, human person who is God come to earth fully God. Buddha, he's an inspired, inspirational leader to many, but he would never claim to be God. Allah would say, I'm a mouthpiece, I'm a prophet of God. I'm very, very close to God, even even bearing some of his attributes, but I'm not God. That was a stone that'd be a stoning offense. But Jesus said, I'm not a messenger. I'm not a healer, I'm not a teacher, I'm not a prophet. I am God. Micah 5.2 But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. Now this is, this, I live out, in, uh, people ask me, they say, well, what, what's your address? And I'm like, uh, put down Charleston and it'll get there. But you could also put down Wando. You could put down Cain Hoy, or you could put down Hugie. Um, but most people find those towns to be so small that they don't know where they are. 
Well, when God came to earth, the prophet uh, Micah says when he comes, he's going to come in a nowhere place. That you, I've even got to get, he says, Bethlehem is the Bethlehem of Ephrathah who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient days. That means he's the Alpha and the Omega. When it says from ancient of days, it means it's too old, it's too many to count. How long is forever? How long is eternity? Well, it's, you can't count it because it has no beginning and it has no end. All right, so what? What's the... What's the impact? What's the impact here um, if Jesus is eternal? All right, I would, I would love to, to go on a little history lesson this morning, but I can't. Let me just tell you that the very first heresy, the very first heresy said that Jesus Christ was fully God when he was born to a virgin Mary. That doesn't sound like a heresy, does it? Well, what it is teaching is, is that he became God, fully God, they will grant you that, but he became fully God at the point that he was born. And so they're created, it, cre it was a heresy because it does not allow us to see that Jesus Christ was with God the Father at creation. When you read about God in the Old Testament, when you read about Christ in the Psalms, we can read it Christ-centrically in that Christ was already there. Christ did not have a starting point at the manger. What's the implication? The implication to me is that there was a decision a long time ago for God to come to earth, for him to descend into my mess, for him to come into my miserable, messed up, screwed up, foul life and to awaken my heart to him, to forgive me of my sins when I cried out, that that decision was made, as it says in Ephesians, it, that decision was made in eternity past. The implications of Jesus Christ being eternal is that he doesn't change. If, he, if he's eternal, that means that what he was way back in Genesis and before the world, he is today and he was then. Are you with me on this? We are fickle people. And it's hard to believe. You're not going to be impacted by Jesus Christ being eternal God unless you realize that He has forgiven you once, you are forgiven. Not even your sin can change that. If you are truly a follower of Christ, if you have become a son or daughter through the forgiveness of your sin, not even your sin in the future can keep you from Him. We have this idea, we have this idea sometimes that that, well, let me go on. Let me go on. i got to go on. Number two, he is always powerful. Now, the term always means without end and better than everybody else and totally complete. 
For theologians, they would use the term omni. He is omnipotent. Perhaps you've heard that. That means that he is all-powerful and no one has more power than him. Watch it in action in Matthew chapter 8, verse 26. They're in a boat. A storm comes up. He's asleep. Now this, this is a reflection of his humanity. Jesus got tired. Jesus had sweat at times. Jesus as a baby would need to be changed. Jesus was fully man. He felt pain. He had emotion. He got weary. He fell asleep in a boat. But he's not ever not aware. It's not that he woke up and is like, oh, 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 oh hey, I, I got raindrops on me. What's going on? He knew. So that he is, without being flustered in verse 26, he says, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm. And then they go on and they say, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? He's fully God. What sort of man can do this? A man can't do this. Only God can harness creation and chide waves that are raging and say, shh, 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 be still. And they immediately, the sea goes flat. Psalm 89, verse 8. O Lord, remember Justin saying whenever you see Lord in the Bible, L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that means God. O Lord, God of hosts. Host means army, angels, angel armies. Who is mighty as, as you are. O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you, you rule the raging of the sea, when its waves rise, you still them. When you read the Psalms and you read about, O oh Lord our God, I do want you to begin to put the face of Jesus Christ to those things that you're reading. You shouldn't just wait until the New Testament and the words of red come about. Jesus Christ was there, it says in another Psalms, he was the craftsman at the Father's side when the world was created. When it says in John's Gospel, his Christmas narrative says, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was God. You go back to Genesis 1 when it says that God spoke and there was light. He created the world with a Word. Can't wrap my head around it, but He created it through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is over creation. What's the impact? What difference does that make? If he's all-powerful, what does it mean to you? I can tell you this. If you've got an addiction you can't crack, he can. If you've got a sin problem you can't beat, you can't whoop, you've tried physical discipline, you've tried accountability, you've tried a support group, you've tried... You've tried everything, then cry out to Jesus. Your flesh can't steal those storms. He can. He always could. He still can. He's eternal. He didn't just do it once and then stop. It's in His nature. My nature is a part of creation. 
Phil Stogner's bent in my nature. That's part of my creatureliness. Now, don't I do well when I bring this part of God's creation, Phil Stogner, to Jesus and say, man, rule over the storms. Make bread where there's a, there's a, there's a, a heart of stone. Make a living, hot, warm loaf out of it. You multiplied the loaves before. Multiply those things in my life that I need. Cry out to Jesus. Boy, this, is a, this deserves a sermon in itself. The day that we live in, we worship the creature and we worship creation, but we don't appeal to the Creator. We're not going to solve. And I believe that we should be active to take a role in the redeeming of the earth that we live on. But we're not going to solve it without the Creator. The Creator rules over all of His creation and He can change things in a moment. But let's bring it down to us. If I have a God, Jesus, who is still able to still the storms, what am I doing trying to handle the storms alone? Oh, ye of little faith. I think the disciples just need to say, well, even while the storm rages, I've got Jesus in the boat. Even if we sink, we sink, but we sink with Jesus. There's some of the storms in our life that are not going to be stilled at this moment, but do we have Jesus with us? That'll preach. All right, always knowing. John 6, verse 64. This is Jesus speaking, but there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. What difference does that make? What difference does it make that Jesus knows you. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're doing. He knows what's in your heart. If you are made very, very uncomfortable, or if you say, I just try not to think about that, or I don't believe that that's true, just go into denial or just say it's an outright lie. I don't believe that. Jesus only knows what I show him. Well, you're kidding yourself. That's not true. But if you're uncomfortable this morning by the fact that Jesus knows what you did this morning, He knows what you're thinking right now, you're thinking, I've got to get out of here. Man, we had a, this service has been so long. There's so much packed into this one service. He knows what you're thinking. If you're made uncomfortable, I want you to further explore why am I so uncomfortable with Jesus knowing, I mean really knowing my heart's secrets, my heart's thoughts. Why am I really, really uncomfortable? Because Jesus wants you to be comforted. He wants you to be comforted that He knows. He really does know. He knows how very weak you are. And I am. He knows where our mind goes. He knows that we are prone to wonder, Oh Lord, I feel it. And He wants us to know that He does not leave us during those moments. He doesn't leave us during those moments. So the impact is, I can go to Jesus and say, Jesus, even in my prayers, I can't articulate all the needs or all the struggles or all the things that are going on, but you know. In fact, you know better than I know what I need. You know. You know. And I pray that God, Jesus, knowing, Knowing your heart 
that you move from any sense of it being an uncomfortable thought to it being a wonderful, wonderful thought. But the only way it is is if you experience the impact of the incarnation, that he doesn't leave you when you have a bad thought. He's right there with you. Um, always present. Matthew 18, 20. Um, some of these are going to impact you more than others. I can tell you this one, this one, and it's already come out this morning in this message, this one impacts me the most. Jesus Christ says in 1820, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So that when we pray in this church or in your community group or in your Bible studies or in your men in your in your meeting as men or women or one on one or one with three, whenever you pray, Jesus is right there. No, he's not there in the flesh, but he's there with you. Jesus is with us in worship. He says, I inhabit praise. I inhabit worship. Jesus is the object of our... Jesus is with us this morning. No, he's not with us in the flesh, but he will come back in the flesh. He's with us. We're not left. The impact, I'm not left to work out my life alone. I'm not left to work out Christianity. I come to a cross. Jesus, you died in my place. I am a sinner Please forgive me of my sins, and now I've got to work out everything else on my own. Jesus says, no, no. No, no, no. Imagine Jesus saying at that point, I'll never leave you. Everything you face, we face together. No, never, ever, never, never, ever, ever alone. Matthew 28, 20. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? You may not have a friend in this world, but if Jesus Christ has become your Savior and you believe Him to be fully God, God, Emmanuel, is with you. God with me. God with us. Forever. Number uh, Number five. Sovereign authority. And he opened his mouth and he taught them saying, then you have the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount can be seen as the new Ten Commandments. It's, 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 these are commands. He's saying, these are things that you, my people, God's people, will do. Matthew 5, verse 22. But I say to you, Now he goes to a command, and he seems to amend it. He certainly translates it. And he's not saying, I, a prophet, a teacher, a Jewish man. He's saying, I, truly, truly, I say to you, amen and amen. He's saying, I speak not as a representative of the Lord, but I speak as capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the fire of hell. In other words, I can take that command. Don't be angry with your brother or sister. There are serious consequences if you remain angry and unforgiving towards your brother and sisters. He says you even risk the fire of hell or being brought before the council of other believers to be judged. If you believe that God says that, it's different 
than if you believe that just a teacher says that. If he is a sovereign, that means a king. That means an ultimate authority. If he is a kingly authority, if he is God speaking, I take the words of Jesus not just as sweetness and niceness, but as commands. Not just, I wish you would, or to be like me, but I take them as from God. When Jesus speaks, God speaks. And Jesus is not speaking as a prophet or a messenger or else an angel come to earth would have done. Now this is God among us, God with us speaking. What are the implications? Just ask, do you believe what Jesus says? He even mentions hell here. Do you believe that? Wow, Jesus said something about hell? Yes, he believed in hell. Do I believe what Jesus says? Um, number six. Philippians 2 is, now these are representative verses, folks. These are all attributes that we see that only God possesses. Only God is to be worshipped. And now, in Philippians, the Apostle Paul says, Jesus, by God's design and His pleasure, is to be worshipped. So we only are to worship God, but now we're to worship Jesus. So Jesus, thereby, as the object of our worship, is we're not worshipping a man, we're not worshipping a good fellow, we're worshipping God in Jesus. So that our language at Two Rivers, one of the implications is, our language at Two Rivers is, we can talk about Jesus, 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 and talk less about God. But we're talking about God. Make sense? In other words, I, I hear a lot of people would say, well, you know, there's God, and God the Father, and as Presbyterians, we're really good with that emphasis. Baptists are much better with just Jesus. But when you say Jesus, you're saying Emmanuel. When you say Jesus, you're saying God. When you say Jesus, you're saying God with us. So, God himself is saying, and we know the Holy Spirit wants this, God is saying, I want you to make much of Jesus because he is me. He is God. He is the object of your worship. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess Jesus Christ as Lord to the glory of God the Father. This morning, um, I had quite a shock when I went to get into my truck to come here. Um, as you read these words in Philippians, I want you to, to note that the words are in the present tense. Okay? So, what he's saying here is not talking about there's going to come a day where God will exalt him and where God will have his name broadcast and when that name is heard, the knees will bow. I like that, I like that image too. My knees bowing. My knees bowing. Worship him. And tongues confess. Stay with me. 
He's not saying there's going to come a day when the name of Jesus will create a response of bowing knees and confessing tongues. He's saying it's now. It's now. So that a test of my relation to Jesus as God is how do I react with the prompt of his name? This morning, um, I, I'm kind of rushing around at the house. I've got a couple of things in my arm. I open my back door of my truck. I put in some things there. I open the front door, and there's something in the floorboard. And then I realized that Emerson, playing in my truck yesterday, I had the little port, the little rear window that I left open. Something's gotten into my truck. Now, okay, so I'm afraid of rats. I'm, the, I'm not the guy that if you see a mouse that you call, okay? I kind of squeal like a five-year-old girl in those situations. So I'm not, it's not very pretty. It's very embarrassing, very humbling. So I open it up, and I'm thinking... As I'm, I immediately I see it in the floorboard and I shut the door. And then you know the next thing I do, well, first of all I looked around. So nobody saw me. There wasn't a walker or next door neighbor that I was embarrassed. I'm like, okay. And then then my mind is like, what was that bundle of fur and dark mottled hair in my floorboard? And it moved. And I'm like. It was too big for a rat. It didn't have the right color for an opossum. It's, it was too big for a squirrel. So I opened it again, and I think that it's a, a raccoon. Well, it was a cat. It was a neighbor who is cat-sitting. Their cat had gotten into my truck and coiled up there. So this time when I open it up, it's awake and it's moving. So as soon as I open it up, it shoots out of the truck. And I'm like, Ah! Seeing, I then was embarrassed because I was like, oh, all that kind of reaction for just a pet cat. Wow. When we hear the name of Jesus, Paul says, how do you react? He's saying Jesus is fully God. God has exalted him because of his, his life, his death, his resurrection, God has exalted him. That's why we worship. He's already exalted. And he's saying his glory is his death on our behalf. He wasn't reluctant to do that. And he did all of that so that he could be God with us, not simply for a short period of time, but forever, ever, 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 ever. And we can share glory with him. What is that? How do you react to that? What's the impact? If I make a case that he's worthy of your worship, does it impact your worship? A test? Jesus. Emmanuel. God with you. Does it make you want to worship? Does it make you think? Does it comfort you? Does it cause you to just say, Ah, Jesus. So love that he should condescend into my mess then? And now, and that he should never leave me, and he should never change. His promises are still true for me. He's not fickle. 
And he's able to change my circumstances. He's the creator God. Oh, so worthy is he of worship. Or is there no impact at all? How sad. How sad it was this last week as the event of the killing and the act of terrorism in San Bernardino unfolded. But there was, in my mind, a redeeming moment where one of the police officers or security people was in the building and he was escorting out about 10 men and women. And they had to take an elevator down. And they're standing in front of the elevator and they're hearing the pops of the shots around them. And they don't know when that elevator opens to take them down to the ground so that they can get out with his escort. They don't know what's going to unfold on the other side of that door. And he looks around and he sees how anxious they are hearing the pops. He says, relax. Relax. Oh, try to relax. I'm here. And you can be blank sure that I will take the bullet for you. He was with them. He was speaking to them. And he said, I will protect you and I'll stand in the way of any fire that comes. This communion table is God with us. But it's not Jesus saying, hey, relax. I'll take the bullet if it should come. It's him saying, I did take the bullet. It did come. I took it for you. And if I took it for you, I am Emmanuel with you now and forever. We celebrate. We worship at this table. We don't mourn the dead or a fallen hero. Man, we raise our glass not to forget. We raise the glass to remember. Worthy is He. Worthy is the Lamb that took away the sins of the world. He took it for me. And He ever lives to intercede for me. For He is fully God then, now, and forever. And He's my God. Let's pray. Father, as our men come forward to prepare to lead us in this table, I pray that we will see you in these humble elements of broken bread and poured out wine. That we will see you with us. And like those disciples gathered around the Passover table, that we will see your hand serving us reminders of your death on our behalf. And that death on our behalf securing us in union and fellowship in being with you forever. To this end we pray in Christ's name. Amen.